I think that a lot of production sites today very often come down to having two classes of problems. There is problems you introduce yourself via your application code, your first party code, as some people will call them. And then there is your third party code or stuff that you haven't authored and that either gets included on your site via marketing or the business or other folks. You know, sometimes it's embeds, ads, trackers, all sorts of other things. And um, I've seen plenty of teams who will build a really fast experience and then got get bogged down by all of this other third-party stuff being added to their pages. I think that a little bit of a performance mindset in businesses really helps here, like caring about every single piece that's contributing to the end user outcomes is really important. Welcome to PodRocket. Uh, my name's Noel. I'm a software engineer at LogRocket, and today we're joined by Adi Asmani and Lydia Holly. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course, of course. Addy and Lydia are here uh, specifically to tell us about their patterns.dev book. Lydia is a dev relations engineer at Versal. Addy's CV is a bit more complex, uh, but he's currently an engineering manager at Google working on Chrome speed and dev experience efforts. Did I get all of that right? You got that great. Perfect, perfect. Awesome. Um, so yeah, again, I want to, I want to, I want to start talking about patterns.dev, but before we get there, um, can you guys give us a little bit more info on your backgrounds and uh, kind of what you're what you're working on, your current roles. Um, let's start with you, Lydia. Sure. Um, yeah. So currently, I work at Vercel, but before joining Vercel, I used to be a software engineering contractor for many years, also for for startups mainly. Um, on this side, I also created just a lot of like content on social media um, about kind of my journey. You know, like traveling the world while being a software developer, like remotely and like not going to college, all that stuff. And also creating like visualized posts on technical articles that people seem to enjoy, like kind of more the in-depth articles and like, okay, what's actually going on under the hood? Um, and that's kind of how it bridged to patterns.dev because we, of course, also use some of that, those visualizations in, in patterns. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. How about you, Addy? Oh, how about me? Um, I've been working on Chrome for about 10 years. Uh, a lot of my focus has been on trying to improve kind of performance, speed of the web, user experiences, that type of thing. And um, while we put a lot of focus on trying to speed up you know, the browser, of course, how developers architect their pages is a huge part of how quickly things load or how maintainable things are on the web. Um, and so I've, I've spent uh, a little bit of time thinking about architecture over the last uh, while, too. And uh, <laughs> part, part of this project was born from wanting to rethink some of the older books I'd written around this topic. Um, and bringing a fresh perspective, Lydia has got a very fresh perspective on a lot of these ideas. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was really fun collaborating with her on this. But yeah, I guess when... when when dev, maybe we should define some terms. I feel like when devs say patterns, like lots of people mean different things based on the context they're in and like who's who's using it. So specifically, like what patterns is patterns.dev focusing on? I guess stepping back, um, we, we, we know that design patterns give us this common vocabulary, right? To talk about software design. Um, and patterns.dev is all about trying to give people a perspective on design patterns uh, through the lens of modern JavaScript. JavaScript has changed heavily in the last 10 years. We've got 
you know, baked in modules, we've got promises, we've got async, we've got all sorts of things. And so we wanted to rethink a lot of classic patterns through that lens. And as we started working through the content, we realized, oh, wait, it's not just about, you know, how you structure your code, how you structure your code can have an impact on how things are rendered on a page or how things load on a page. And so patterns takes this kind of almost holistic view of like, architecture, rendering, performance, and we try to tie it all nicely with, with a bow. I don't know, Lydia, what, what, what is your perspective on it? No, I think you expect or explained it perfectly. Um, to me, you know, when I started the project, I knew it was going to be about patterns. And I, of course, I, I knew about the book that Addie wrote um, many years ago, and I wanted to read it, but I felt like, okay, it's written in 2012. I don't know if it's still, you know, relevant. But even then I was like, okay, but what do patterns actually mean? Like I've been writing JavaScript for the past well, when I started like past six years, I've never really even thought of patterns before. Um, but as I like, as we were writing the articles, it made more sense to me in my head, like, oh, it's more just um, like reusable thought patterns almost that you like, it, it doesn't always fit in like the exact same context. It's more of like, oh, this is a solution to this type of problem. So it, in the future, if I ever come across something similar, I know what the solutions are and maybe I could potentially kind of, you know, change it a little bit, uh, take small pieces of it. And so, yeah, for me, patterns, it's more of a thought process in your head that you kind of have to teach yourself. Yeah, that's kind of, that's an interesting thread. I feel like, I feel like that's kind of, um, as developers grow, that's kind of a skill that um, isn't, isn't typically articulated very cleanly in that, um, you know, devs who have seen a lot and have solved a lot of problems kind of implicitly know what patterns may be useful to solve certain types of problems, right? Um, and like that intuition is a hard thing to, I think, like force oneself to learn. How do you guys kind of try to instill that knowledge via your work? I think that a common critique, right, the patterns just in general have is that people feel like, oh, hey, we're, we're cramming them into every possible case where they may not necessarily have value. And one of the things we tried to get across with this book, and that was really important, was patterns are useful for solving very specific problems. They are descriptive, not prescriptive. And if you don't have those problems, there's no reason to be applying them. And so one, one thing that Lydia's done a really good job of in many of our articles is talking about like, what are the specific use cases where patterns should be used? And what are the places where maybe you shouldn't consider them? Or maybe, you know, they're actually no longer relevant. And we take, try to take a very pragmatic view to, to this problem. I guess, how is, how, is the, how is the book laid out? Like, how, how, is, how is it formatted, structured? How do you guys kind of present them and help, you know, readers figure out what pattern may be applicable to problems that they are solving? I find that a difficult one to answer, actually. Um, now, I think while well, we we want to make you know all the articles first kind of like relatable, like first it's like okay, what is a problem that people might be facing without just like immediately showing like a solution to it? Um, of course, like we have design patterns, we've got rendering patterns, and we've got performance patterns. Um, so, at in patterns, I think we also just explain like, hey, these are the patterns that exist, like whether you went to college or not. I mean, then you probably have heard of them just because you have to know about them. Um, so also don't try to like reinvent the wheel if you ever come across any of those problems. People have already had decades, probably about like have thought of this for decades um, and have come up with really good and reliable solutions. 
at the same time, of course, I think also a lot of JavaScript developers nowadays, they might take things kind of for granted. Like, okay, I'm using these tools, but why do you have to use these tools? Uh, and I feel like we've also tried to kind of explain like, hey, because this, these are still problems that, you know, the web is facing today, that JavaScript is facing today. But luckily, there's just the community is so great nowadays that we've had, we have so many tools that luckily take that pain away from us, but they're still there. Um, so it's also just kind of sparking that curiosity in people, you know, like, okay, what am I actually working with? Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, so you touched on uh, like three, three different kinds of patterns that you guys are covering there with design, rendering, and performance. Um, can we maybe like go into an example of each of those, uh, starting with, I guess, whatever you guys think would make the most sense to start with? Sure. Um, so there's design rendering performance. In design, we have a lot of classic patterns, so things like the module pattern, how do you modularize your code, your components in a way that is reusable. And through the lens of modern JavaScript, you know, we can talk about things like static imports, dynamic imports, all, all of that fun stuff, tree shaking, all that, that, that fun stuff. That's an example of a kind of design pattern. Um, one thing we've tried to do with this book that I don't think has been well covered in other places is acknowledging that in the last couple of years, especially, um, the way people are building for the web often involves using a set of libraries or a JavaScript framework. And frameworks can have their own design patterns. You know, it, it's very often the case that what, you know, I love writing vanilla JavaScript, but a lot of folks today are, are using React, they're using Next.js, they're using Angular and Vue and all these other things. And so we need, again, being pragmatic, we need to make sure that we're giving people um, patterns and concepts that are very, very relevant to the types of apps they're building and structuring today. So we, we think about design patterns at an app level. Rendering, uh, it, it is it has only become um, more complex and more um, powerful uh, a space. So these days, it's not uncommon to you know hear folks not just talking about server side rendering or client side rendering, but also you know, static site generation and incremental and all, all of these other ways, progressive hydration, all of these other ways of um, rendering your, your page, your content, attaching event listers, hydrating your page. Um, and it's difficult, I think, especially for beginners and even intermediate developers to keep up with all of these concepts. So we try to go into a little bit of depth on that. And then for performance, um, you know, it's still really difficult for folks to build a fast site uh, these days. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great work that's been put into, you know, stacks like Next.js um, and many others uh, to improve how, uh, how, how fast things are out of the box. But at the same time, understanding how the decisions you're making about the structure of your application can influence how quickly users see what's on the page. I think that's really important and is an area that, uh, still has a lot of opportunity for growth for a lot of engineers. Gotcha. So kind of kind of going going back through these linear, linearly as you listed them, starting with design, um, you talked about like module patterns and imports and tree shaking. And um, I guess my, my experience has shown me that I feel like a lot of front end devs that specifically have spent most of their time in the front end space kind of like, you know, they end up writing an app, they're using a framework like React or something. And those kinds of patterns just end up being emergent because the framework is encouraging them to write that way. Is that like, I guess you guys, you guys share that perspective or do you think that that is less common um, than I, than one might think it is? Um, 
I, I would say that uh, if you think of front end as a set of layers, right, uh, you, you can have different opinion based on what part of the, which layer you're talking about. React tends to slice, you know, patterns like MVC a little bit vertically by concern. So instead of doing it horizontally, and that can sometimes mean that, uh, you know, you, you have views as this thin layer on top, um, components uh, in React started out as this very small, vertically sliced encapsulated MVC. You had state contained in your model, your rendering, which is your view. And then you had this kind of control flow logic, which is almost like a mini controller. Um, these days, people will uh, abstract a lot of their logic into hooks. And you could see components more as your views, hooks as your controllers. Um, and so I, I, I see, um, I see uh, libraries like React uh, giving you a little bit of opinion here. Uh, there's a little bit more opinion that go into meta frameworks like Next.js, but they don't try imposing too much convention on you. And so we end up with um, a little bit of alignment on the patterns that we use. So like you'll see a lot of developers now using hooks, some folks using higher order components, but um, there isn't a whole ton of alignment around what we should be doing otherwise. And that can lead to people, you know, very often accidentally aligning on the same ideas, which is totally fine. Um, one of the things we're trying to do is just socialize what has worked well, what have people landed on the last couple of years, hopefully in order to save you a little bit of time on that journey. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I feel like, um, especially now, I, uh, uh, again, like now that we have like hooks and HOCs and stuff, yeah, there's more, a little bit more maybe fracturing than there was historically, like in how apps are built. Um, so I think, yeah, if nothing else, it's good to like, reflect and understand why people are doing like why why people are doing what they're doing I, I would postulate that new devs jumping in probably don't have all of the context on like why hooks are helpful and can help pull out logic that was harder to abstract before um so yeah i think that that is is kind of like it is still an interesting space to talk about for sure is that was that design piece of, of the three i know we talked about design again rendering and performance which which one was the Hmm. I guess which one is the hardest to kind of articulate for you guys and like write write you know content about? For me personally, it probably would have been the rendering patterns, just because there are so many different approaches and so many different tools that you can use nowadays to achieve like a better rendering experience or a better user experience through rendering. Um, at the same time, I feel like performance is just getting more and more important because you know more users are using like the mobile browsers. Um, internet is almost everywhere now, even in you know places where the internet connection isn't as stable. Um, and frameworks like Next.js, of course, like their kind of motto is you know great performance. So they've kind of made more people aware that performance is important, um, which is great. But at the same time, there are just so many different ways nowadays to uh, to achieve a great performance, which is of course a very good thing. But it's at the same time, it's tricky. It's uh, it can be kind of a dilemma sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I do want to talk about rendering, but yeah, let's kind of hone in on that a little bit. So like you're saying, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tools out there and like a lot of people telling you, this is going you know, to be the end all. This is how we write more performant apps. And like we listed some before, uh, Addy, I think you went through a bunch. You've got like, you know, full like backend rendering or like partial hydrated, partially rehydrated static sites and like all this crazy stuff. Um, how do you recommend devs that are kind of newer in the space or thinking about performance patterns for the first time? Like how do, how do they jump in? Where do they get started? I think that it's, um, 
one 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 thing I think is really useful for beginners and intermediate developers to think about is understand um, what the user experience you're trying to deliver looks like, and then work backwards from that to the technology that you need. Um, very often we don't do that, uh, and, and and sometimes it's it's for understandable reasons, right? So. Um, I've, I've come across lots of teams who will choose what to use just because it's popular or because it happens to have a ton of training around it, or it's, it's on Hacker News this week, so clearly it's the next big thing, so I should be using it, right? Um, and, and I think that just understanding what you're trying, what your constraints are, what your user experience needs to be, like that, that's really important. Lydia was mentioning earlier, you know, a lot of people are currently trying to build experiences for mobile. What does that actually mean? Are your users on a super constrained, you know, mobile device that might influence the choices that you make technically? Um, are they are they in parts of the world where there isn't, you know, necessarily great internet, you know, 4G, 5G, and so on? All of those things are factors worth keeping in mind. And then when we come back to being pragmatic, I think it's useful to take a look at um, what are stacks that try to set you up for success, um, and can you validate that those stacks are actually doing what they say they're doing. So it's it's very easy for anyone to put up a landing page that says, hey, we are fast. Use us, we will deliver the best experience ever. You know, it, it's always good to just validate like how, how, how true is that? Does it actually meet your goals? Does it give you enough headroom? Um, you know, there's the framework delivering whatever code it has to deliver. Then there's gonna be your app logic. Is that actually going to help you achieve your goals without you having to become a performance expert? Hopefully the answer is yes. The answer is very often, you know, not not that clear. I think that understanding the problem space, understanding your constraints, I think that that's really important. Um, and then I'll also say that uh, there's been great work done in, in stacks like Next, in Svelte, in Lit, and many other solutions to try helping people here. Yeah, that leads me to an interesting question on like performance patterns specifically, because I, I think one could argue that like doing things performantly is more a matter of choosing the right tools in the modern, like the modern web ecosystem. Is there work, uh, are, guess, are there common pitfalls beyond that that you guys um, like talk about in, in the book um, that devs might be falling into, even if they're making all the right des decisions up to that point, like everything's looking good, the code's relatively healthy, modularized, there's like tree shaking and stuff happening. What performance problems do you guys still see as the most common? Well, personally, I think it's not necessarily a performance pitfall, but it's more the balance between having a good user experience and a good developer experience. Because you can optimize for the user experience and have a horrible developer experience that will still you know, give you a bad product. You can't iterate as fast. Uh, you don't feel comfortable making changes in your code. Your team just isn't as uh, productive. Um, and then you can have a really good developer experience. You know, so many tools nowadays, they also focus on the, the developer experience, the DX, which is great. But of course, the user doesn't care about how you, you developed your app, how, what your code base looks like. Um, so I feel like a lot of people, you know, either they really try to optimize to get that really fast user experience. And then I see their codes like, it's just kind of packed together. It's like, okay, it's, it's great. But what is your actual results here? You want to have a great product that you can share with the world and maintain hopefully for a long time scalable if you want to add team members all that stuff so i guess just scalability for both users and your team for developers is a pretty common pitfall uh, i was i think that i think is a really really important point um uh, i i my, my answer uh, would be in a slightly different direction which is um i think that uh 
a lot of production sites today very very much very often come down to having two classes of problems. There is problems you introduce yourself via your application code, your first party code, as some people will call them, and then there is your third party code or stuff that you haven't authored and that either gets included on your site via marketing or the business or other folks. You know, sometimes it's embeds, ads, trackers, all sorts of other things. And um, I've seen plenty of teams who will build a really fast experience and then got get bogged down by all of this other third-party stuff being added to their pages. Um, I think that a little bit of um, you know a, a performance mindset in businesses really helps here, like caring about every single piece that's contributing to the end user outcomes is really important. And then just diligence, like being able to push back and say, well, uh, if, if we don't include all of these third parties, maybe we're able to, in, you know, load up pages faster. Maybe we can increase, um, you know, our conversions. Maybe we can increase the business metrics in some ways. And so as much as the content on patterns.dev tries to help you out with your first party uh, code, the code that you're, you're authoring yourself, we also try touching a little bit on this other aspect, code that you don't own, and how, how should you navigate that problem space too. Nice. That's a, that's a really cool... Um, kind of space to focus on, I think, because I I, I agree, and I've, I've been in this situation before. Again, like I'm I'm working on web fronting code that's getting pushed out for like you know marketing content purposes, and yeah, it's just like if I think it's even in the past, it was particularly challenging to know like the impact of adding something that wasn't performant, and then it's like you know just kind of leaning on the fact that oh we need this to see xyz happen right like we need this four metrics to understand what's going on but not really factoring in how much that may be impacting like your page ranking and stuff like that um so nice it's it's super cool to hear that you guys focus on that a little bit um cool cool well, i kind of i kind of want to i guess touch on all of them so how about how about in the in the the renderings the rendering space is there anything like um it's kind of any particular high-level points that you guys would like to touch on, or you think that might be interesting, kind of, you know, to give a thirty-second blurb on? Well, I know that um, Lydia Vercel have been thinking a lot of, about the the spectrum that is rendering, uh, right? And ten years ago, it was very much SSR, CSR. These days, there's like ten other ways of doing things. Maybe, maybe you maybe you have thoughts on that that side of things in rendering. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even some patterns that we've covered on this website will almost be outdated again, maybe within like the next five years. I mean, hopefully not, probably not. But we're definitely like kind of rethinking the way like, okay, there are many benefits to like static, like SSG and many benefits to SSR. But at the same time, like they all have their performance benefits and and drawbacks, of course. So for example, now with like edge rendering, um, and streaming SSR, we're kind of, you know, combining like both the benefits of static and then the benefits of SSR kind of in this new rendering technique, um, or not even a technique, I guess, new rendering pattern, um, which is, you know, extremely interesting. It's a very different way of thinking about front-end code and just rendering in general on the web um, and how you, I guess, build, build your entire pages, your how you structure your components, your trees, all, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's definitely interesting to see just how the rendering is like getting getting more optimized for global rendering, like more on the edge, like closer to your users. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of. I think I feel like we've kind of been been circling around this idea, and we've touched on it kind of via all of these topics we've talked about thus far. Um, and you kind of opened with it as well when I asked initially, but like having a more modern perspective on patterns versus like, you know, 
what was being done traditionally, I guess, at large and also even like in the web JavaScript space. What are like, what, what do you guys kind of view as the biggest differences now, um, kind of reflecting now that you've written the book? Like what, what, what's the, what are the most significant deltas? I think the one, one of the biggest realizations for us was, um, you know, a, a decade ago when I and other folks first start, tried to do an interpretation of the Gang of Four uh, book on patterns, which is like one of the fundamental pieces of literature around this topic, um, in, in many cases, we were trying to translate uh, what had already been done for Java and Python and other languages over to JavaScript. And in some cases, it, it made sense. In other cases, you kind of had to squint and say, well, this looks really weird. And I don't know that we would actually use it in a production code base. Um, going through that process again recently, uh, we had that, that realization again, well, some of these patterns just don't really quite make as much sense. And that was, I think that was a, a healthy realization for us um, because it meant that we could tell people, well, here's what this pattern is. By the way, you can probably just skip over the rest of this article, but if you really want to read it, you can. And then it allowed us to also acknowledge, you know, there are places where some patterns are still very widely used, um, even if uh, via uh, another library. So, uh, for example, we, we talk a little bit about the observer pattern um, on the site. It's been around forever. And these days, people who are using things like RxJS may not realize, well, yeah, you're kind of using the observer pattern there. Uh, Rx combines the observer pattern and the iterator pattern um, with collections to manage sequences of events. And it's, it's, I think it's, it's healthy to understand, well, how are all the different pieces you're using in your app today connected? And what are those patterns? How, like, how do they come back to the foundations of how we used to build for the web? I think there's something interesting about that. I think for me, the biggest difference was just to see, of course, like I saw it from a more modern perspective. I think I started with ES5. So of course, I didn't really know about the even just the syntax back then, but just seeing how much JavaScript has evolved and, you know, especially TypeScript, it's like, I'm so grateful for all the people working on, you know, the JavaScript engine, the JavaScript syntax to make it so much easier for us. It's also really, I would say it's also really good um, having Lydia have that perspective coming into this. I come with a lot of baggage, unfortunately, when it comes to how, how, how I built for the web. I have to remember back to the time when we didn't have modules in the language, we didn't have classes, and we had to think about required JS, common JS, AMD, all, all weird ways of structuring things. And being able to just kind of acknowledge that was a thing, let's throw some of it away and try to just uh, encourage people to use what is now built into the language. I think that that was healthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, I kind of agree, I think, with this, you know, like the, the, the traditional approach of like, you know, read the read the design patterns, the Gang of Fours book, right, and figure it out. But it's it's kind of the same, I feel like, discussion that's been happening on, on like the, the proponents of like really functional code for a long time. It's just like we're not really focusing... As engineers, I think a lot of the time we're not focusing on problems that those design patterns were really written or prescribed to solve. It's like we're, we're focusing on something different now, especially again with like how modern React and Vue are written. And it's, it's kind of this like, you know, uh, much more, I mean, I don't know reactive library right it's, it's kind of like well i'm not really thinking about this in in terms of like objects like i would would have of old um so yeah i feel like i feel like that perspective and something kind of a little bit more more pragmatic is a really kind of 
probably a worthwhile thing for you know devs that are just entering the space to understand. Um, so nice, nice. That's very cool. Is there any other kind of um, I don't know big uh, or considerations you guys would implore people to think about when they're kind of kind of setting out for something new? At, at large, it's like starting a new product. They have functionality in mind. Um, they want to build XYZ app. Where, how much, how much thought would you recommend they give it beforehand? In like, how do I, how do I architect this? What patterns do I choose to use versus just like jumping in and starting to build? I think that especially in projects where you're going to be working with a team, you're going to be working with more folks than yourself. It's always easier when when it's just you because you can do whatever you want. But when you're working in a team, I think it's important to keep in mind readability. Um, Patterns.dev, design patterns, this whole space is all about trying to deliver better code or good code uh, that can last a little while. And good code is kind of a love letter from yourself to the next programmer or the other people on your team. Um, The more you think about your code in terms of like humans who have to read it and iterate on it and build on it, um, the better your code's going to get because you're going to be thinking about the other people who also have to contribute to it. Um, so I, I think that leveraging your human language skills when you're writing code is valuable. That's another one of those places where being disciplined with patterns or just getting agreement in, in your team. Like, what are the two or three things that are important to us? What are the principles? What are the patterns we care about? Can be valuable for the long term just to make sure that your code has a chance of being maintainable to some degree. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of a good, kind of a good segue, I think, into my last kind of area of questions here. I'm I'm curious what um, you know kind of motivated you guys um, to feel that you had uh, you know like the background, the knowledge to write this book and and tell tell people what to pay attention to. Um, how did you kind of find yourselves there, um, and and you know what what motivated you to write. I'll, I'll hand things off to Lydia in a sec. I think that um, one, one of the challenges that I've always found with uh, giving people guidance around architecture or patterns is that it can sometimes come across as very academic and very much like, here is the code, figure it out, or here are the concepts, figure it out. And what was missing, I think, was being able to connect back to the audience a little bit better via, you know, interactive code, you know, sandboxes and visuals. And that's some that's something that I, you know, continue to believe was like a, an amazing reason uh, Lydia uh, was able to, to bring so much to the project. Uh, when I first saw that she was doing all of these articles that were able to convey really complex topics in a simple way via motion, via animations, via like really good descriptions. Um, I saw an opportunity there for us to, to maybe be able to work together. And so I think that that has been part of why we thought we could maybe do a, a better job um, at this than, than some previous attempts. Lydia, I don't know, what, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for, for me, I was very excited about it because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of have always been like, oh, you don't necessarily have to go to college to be a good software engineer. You know, you can just teach yourself nowadays. And of course, we see this entire influx now of people that do the same thing, which is amazing. But most people, and me included, always have this thing like, I know I don't know certain things, but I don't know what I don't know. And one of these things was like patterns. Um, 
So being able to also teach myself as I was writing some of these articles, because of course, like I had to kind of modernize some of the articles that were already written. I'm like, I didn't even know that this was a thing, but now I do know. Uh, and of course, like as I was teaching myself how to code back then, I used so many like free resources um, that I just, I, I love that I was able to also give back to those people that I feel like I would have loved to read this, to have read this, sorry, when I was, you know, teaching myself how to code. So being able to be helpful to so many new developers coming into the industry now and, you know, making sure that they are ready for everything, that they can create performance apps, that they don't feel overwhelmed when hearing all those terms. I think, yeah, I, I'm very grateful that, you know, I got to be part of that. Nice. Um... Awesome. Lydia, earlier you mentioned that when you were kind of set out and were looking for, a, uh, I think, a specific, uh, like a design patterns book specifically, you'd found uh, Addie's old book that was like from 2012. Is that is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're like, that's, you know, probably a little bit dated at this point. It's not, not where I want to spend my time. Does that notion of like in the software world, everything's changing really quick, best practices, the tools that are available, you know, something's dated once it's been on the shelf for six months. Does that, does that notion like stress you guys out? Does it influence how you kind of talk about um, topics? Yes. <laughs> is, is the short answer. Um, it's, it's especially Difficult. I, th I think a long time ago, um, you know, pe e even even in the past, people were using libraries and frameworks to build things. You know, we had we had Dojo and Backbone and all and Angular JS and all these things. Um, one of the difficulties writing about this space is that even within the React world, things change kind of every year um, to some degree. And being able to stay on top of okay, well, where is the puck going? While also acknowledging that most people are probably not going to necessarily be using the future for a while, means that we have to continue delivering well on the current best practices as well as keeping a tight eye on the future. And there is a little bit of stress and tension that comes from that um, because we could say, well, you should do this today, but here is roughly what tomorrow's solution could look like. If that solution keeps changing, that means that our, our articles have to keep getting updated. Otherwise, we're, we're giving people false guidance. So I, I do think it adds a little bit of stress. Um, it, it also is, I think, a good invigorating factor for us to try staying on top um, of what's changing. And hopefully we don't do a terrible job of that at the end of the day. Yeah, I believe like by the time we were like ready to publish at least a website and a book, we already had to change some of the articles because they were already outdated or at least there were like more modern solutions to it because I believe we spent like a year and a year and a half. So it's like, OK, this is just going to be a lifelong thing now. <laughs> we're going to have to update this every month or something. But yeah, it's it's only good. I'm only happy that, you know, the that JavaScript ecosystem is moving forward all the time. It's a good sign. Yeah, it's it's an exciting space for sure. Um, I guess yeah. With that in mind, you guys again, like you seem seem to kind of have this this understanding of how how things are evolving in a uh you know like un understanding the the nature of that beast. Um, what do you guys think the future looks like? Um, do, do you think we'll kind of always be in this world of of the the even the patterns that people are using to develop apps changing, or do you think we'll eventually like stabilize a little bit and they'll kind of be like, well, we're maturing as an industry, like web dev in particular is kind of hitting this this point where now it's a little less turbulent, or do you think it'll always be like a very iterative, um, just kind of turbulent space? I think that things are likely to get a little bit more opinionated 
as our understanding um, of the space continues to improve, especially now that the idea of uh, opinionated web frameworks is more established. So, you know, uh, Next, Nuxt, and, and Angular, and so on. Um, the opportunities for those frameworks to have more of an opinion, even if it's just in docs around some of these ideas, I think will help us stabilize a little bit further um, on the options. Um, I do think it, it's going to, you know, there, there are always going to be places where um, it's difficult to generalize for everybody and say, well, here is how everybody should be tackling state management, or here's how, how everybody should be tackling communicating between components. It's difficult sometimes to standardize on just the one way to do these things. And so um, getting clear, getting more alignment on the options or what has worked well, I think will be a place of opportunity for the community. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I I, I think so as well, and I, I feel like it's 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 interesting because like it's it's slowing in some ways and like changing more rapidly in other ways, and it's always just kind of like it's interesting to see just kind of reflect to me like oh yeah we've been doing you know this the same way for five or six years now, but you know even the way we're the preferred way of communicating uh, data between components like as an example seems to still not be totally settled upon, um, and maybe like you know context driven and situational um but yeah like it is it is it's it's a fun space to be in like i said for sure um i guess yeah more broadly what are you guys looking forward to like kind of you know for the rest of this year just in general in the tech space like what's what's on the horizon that you're excited about i think personally what i'm most excited about is of course the increase in like edge um whether it's like middleware or like workers or rendering um, just because it can bring so many like performance benefits, speed optimizations to so many users all across the world and just different. Yeah. As I said before, it's a different way of thinking about how you design your websites, um, which I think is, is very exciting and it's better, you know, to not have those like cold boots that you often now have at server site rendering. Uh, you don't really have to think too much about, I guess, like the DevOps part as much anymore. Um, so that's definitely an exciting part of it. And I guess I'm excited about two small things. One is um, uh, new capabilities we've been bringing to the web platform um, for faster experiences. So things like early hints, priority hints, other ways for developers to basically try getting you know the resources needed for their pages to, to load and render um, fetched a little bit sooner. And then I'm also, I continue to be excited about the whole space that is uh, GitHub Copilot, uh, GPT-3, all, all of these ways of automatically writing code for you. And in, in how, like, how does that tie back to patterns? Um, if, if those engines are relying on Stack Overflow answers, for example, how much of like old patterns are they relying on for what they generate versus new versus good? I don't know. It's an interesting space. We've got to manipulate Copilot. Always use our pattern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just instill, instill patterns in the machine. Make it, make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, well, again, I think we've, we've covered a lot. Um, and yeah, kind of dove into a bunch. Is there anything you guys kind of want to plug or point the listeners to kind of uh, as we sign off here? Uh, check, check out patterns.dev, please. Uh, no, uh, we, we, we've, been, we've been very fortunate. I think patterns.dev just crossed uh, two and a half million people checking it out, which is really cool. Um, please check it out. Feel free to share the book. Everything is, is free. Uh, and give us feedback. Uh, we're, we're, you know, while, while some folks can say we're experts, we don't know everything. And, and so we always look for opportunities to improve. So feedback's welcome. Nice. How about you, Lydia? Anything else? Anything outside of the, outside of the book? 
I was just going to, oh, outside of the book. Now I was just going to say, make sure to give feedback. And of course, if you have any ideas on patterns that we should add or frameworks that we should add, please let us know. Because of course, the, we wanted to make it available for all web developers, not just React developers. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on and chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. Um, hopefully we can, you know, chat again soon. And maybe as you guys are, are working on updates and stuff, we'll have some fresh topics to cover. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Sounds good.